Wow, what a great conversation I had with Dr. Mary Barbera. For those of you that don't know her, she is a dynamo. She is an autism mom. She is also an autism professional. And she has such great information that she shares about communication, but that she also shares about other realms of helping students with autism. We break it down. She talks about how she had a fall into the autism world. She talks about how she's helping parents and professionals now. And we unpack a lot of great information. So make sure that you tune in. Let's hear that music. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. All right. Thanks for joining us on episode eight of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin. I'm here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have with us Dr. Mary Barbera. Mary is a friend, colleague, and mentor of mine. I think we met for the first time in real life, maybe three years ago. We met in San Diego at a conference, and it's so nice to have you on today, Mary. Yeah, it's great to be here, Rose. Thanks so much for inviting me. Many of you may already know who Mary is, but if you don't, you are in for a treat. Mary is a PhD, a nurse, a BCBAD author, speaker, autism mom, and so much more. Mary has a wealth of information and has helped so many professionals and parents alike. We have a lot to cover, so let's get right into it. Mary, in your book, you say that you fell into the autism world. What do you mean by that when you say that? Yeah, so this was the back back in the late 1990s when my firstborn son, Lucas, started showing signs of autism. And he was only 21 months of age when my husband, who's a physician, mentioned the possibility of autism. And I can still see like I was back. I can see myself in my old house in my family room when he said that. And I was like, literally like saw stars, like, what are you talking about? You know, never before had I thought about autism. And this was a long, long time ago. So back then there was no Facebook, you know, I didn't know anything about ABA. I didn't know really anything about autism, except for I had watched Rain Man. And as a nursing student, I had done a brief clinical rotation at a residential treatment facility. And there were some teenagers there with autism, but I didn't know what to look like. It would look like in a toddler. So I told my husband on that day that I never, ever want to hear the word autism out of your mouth again. Like a good husband, he didn't bring it up, but it was already out of his mouth and into my brain, etched in my brain. And so I spent more than a year in denial and watched as my son got further and further behind his typically developing peers. And the day before his third birthday, he was diagnosed with moderate severe autism, which even surprised my husband and I, because we thought he would be on the milder side. Mm -hmm. He he was going to typical preschool without support. You know, he wasn't, he didn't have any self-injurious or aggression. He he was just kind of a quiet kid. He was in speech therapy. So we really were not thinking it was as significant. And, you know, I remember asking the developmental pediatrician, well, I had read about ABA and I had read that even kids could get all better. And like, and he's just kind of looked at me and it's like, not that he said, you're too late if you would have come earlier. And if you would have been more mild, right. it would have been different. But, you know, this is, this is, I haven't seen it in my career where, where a child like Lucas with this level of impairment 
gets all better. But of course, you should do ABA and everything. So I left that appointment really falling, really feeling like I had fallen into a dark, deep hole. And I felt extra guilty because I'm the one that was in denial for over a year. And so I really felt like I had to figure out a way to claw myself out of the hole. And and I had Lucas on my back too. And we had both fallen into the hole. And that was a Friday. The diagnosis, his third birthday was a Saturday. It was a very sad day. You know, my husband was crying, taking the video. And, and, you know, Lucas was in a diaper only. It was July 3rd is his birthday. And, you know, because he wouldn't keep clothes on. Like I turned my back and he would strip down. And I had no idea how to keep him dressed. I had no idea how to teach him to blow out his candles. I had no idea. He had some words. I call them pop-out words now. I had no idea how to get more words. I had no idea how to teach him body parts. And there really weren't a lot of resources. So that's why I describe my fall. And I have a podcast too, which you are. <laughs> this is funny because you're on. I'm on episode eight of your podcast. You are episode ten of my podcast, <laughs> my Tur- Turn Autism Round podcast. Love that. So yeah, so I have described. I always ask guests to describe their fall into the autism world. So right. whether you're a parent or even a professional, you stumbled upon the autism world somehow, some way. A lot mm-hmm. of the professionals that are not parents of kids with autism, you know, stumbled upon it by answering an ad and starting working with a young child with autism. That's usually the trajectory. Right. But yeah, that's kind of my description yeah. of my fall. So. Right. <laughs> What's so interesting, oh my gosh, and you have contributed just so much information to just really just everybody, but especially parents that are trying to navigate that kind of diagnosis and probably feeling so isolated. And now there's almost like so much information out there that it's hard to decipher what's going to be right for your family. But what's so interesting, and I don't know if I even told you this, but I remember I was working in the field for a couple of years and I got married and we were moving to Austin, Texas. And I remember that learning that the district I was going to be in autism kind of consultant for was using a verbal behavior approach. And so I remember going to the UT library this like very nerdy. I think it was maybe before even Amazon was a whole thing. And I remember getting your book like from the UT library. And I remember reading it. And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Because I had been exposed to and was using applied behavior analysis to help my clients increase their communication skills. And this was prior to me even being a BCBA. So it was a very long time ago. But I remember reading your book and thinking, gosh, this makes so much sense. This is really just like a really nice way to another addition for how I can help my students. So I read your book a really long time ago and I knew we would be fast friends. I like remember contacting Mary online. I took her courses and I'm in her membership and kind of talk with parents and other professionals in there. But I remember emailing you and saying like, I know that we're going to like work together someday and collaborate. I just knew the way that that book was written, even though we do things a little bit differently and kind of come at things from a different angle that um, we really are working towards the same goal and have a lot of similarities in how we approach things. So small world, so fun to talk today. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing your story with us. That's that's so very important. So briefly tell us how you went from being an overwhelmed parent to being a BCBAD author, PhD, online course creator, podcaster, and international keynote speaker. Yeah. So once I got myself and Lucas out of the hole, (laughs) we started climbing the mountain. You know, again, I had them on my back and a lot of stuff on my back, a lot of people that were just you know, kind of wearing me down. And I was just trying to figure out how to help him. And so I went to a lot. I, I, at the time, had a master's degree in nursing administration. I always worked in the neuro field. So I always kind of 
you know, it made sense to me, the whole ABA thing. So I started the, his birthday was a Saturday on Monday. I started calling and getting ABA. Okay. What do I have to do? Took me another three months to get an ABA program going in my home, 40 hours a week, figured out how to get that paid for, which was quite a, quite a feat back then. And then, you know, it, it really made sense to me. And one of my very first consultants said, you know, she really felt like me as the parent. I had three therapists paid for by medical assistance, basically. I figured out a way to get Lucas on medical assistance, regardless of parent income. And, you know, that was all a thing in Pennsylvania, which was really lucky. Yeah, She had a really good idea. She said most of the children that really do well, their parents actually work as a therapist. So get a babysitter for Spencer for three to five hours a week. And I want you to go down. I want you to run the programs. I want you to take it seriously, like pretend like you're his therapist. And so I, I liked it. It was, it made sense. Mm -hmm. And then I was a, I was almost then able to take the role. I was a nurse manager. So I was like, okay, I'm the lead therapist. Like, even though I'm only working five hours a week, they were working more hours. I was like, this makes sense, my child. And then I would prepare kind of, I don't know that we did graphs back then. I would prepare the percentage of corrects. And I was wondering, was there like a data binder in your home? I still like to take data. (laughs) Okay. I know what those look like because I definitely worked in a lot of homes that, you know, where the children were receiving ABA services and I would come in, you know, usually as a speech therapist. And yeah, I mean, I actually still like to take data by hand. I'm old showing my age and there's great systems out there that are not by hand, but um, I, okay, so there were definitely some data binders going on in the in the, the Barbera home. Okay, <laughs> and we did we did um, you know strict discrete trial and for about a year, and we had a Lovas replication site consultant come to our home. I think just once a month after the first oh. time or two. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't much. So that all made sense. And then my consultant was moving south. And so I had to get a different consultant. And at the same time, my friend flew down to Florida to hear Dr. Vincent Carbone speak mm-hmm. about verbal behavior. The Ables had just come out. And this was like 2000, 1999 to 2000. And she, when she flew back, she's like, Mary, we got to do things differently. And so I didn't get to see him speak until a couple of years later. But, you know, we shared some of the same therapists and her son was less, he wasn't speaking at all. And Lucas was, but, mm-hmm. you know, she was able to really teach me what to do and got the ables and build it out incorrectly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> easy, easy to parent, do. <laughs> That's a hard yeah, test. Well, yeah. And the ables is, for those of you listening that don't know what the ables is, it's basically preceded the BB map. Now I use the BB map, you know, almost exclusively. But back then, the ables was the only tool. And it was interesting, and me included, we we would, when we'd fill it out, we'd fill it out very, like a parent would, you know, you just like, oh, yeah, he can do that. And then like, no, he's not really doing that. But anyway, so that was 2000. We switched we then switched to a verbal behavior type of consultant, but really nobody knew anything what they were doing. Like I went from a low bus consultant who at least was like with it, right. made up, you know, and then mm-hmm. it was like the, it was like the wild west in the early 2000s in terms of verbal behavior. Well, yeah, so, were you working with a BCBA at that time or was it just someone who was specializing in ABA programming? There, there were no BCBAs right. until like 2000 and one, 2002, okay, like okay. 2000. So yeah. in 1999 and 2000, no, there wasn't a BCBA. 
Yeah. We did go with a verbal behavior type program through Rutgers. So Dr. Mary Jane Weiss was there, but she never interacted with us. I'm not sure how much oversight she had with the guy that came. But anyway, it was, we were all really learning. And then I was recruited because I did so much parent advocacy Mm -hmm. for Lucas and he was entering kindergarten and I was like, okay, well now how's that going to work? You know? And so then I got this email, like you're being considered for this position with the Pennsylvania Verbal Behavior Project. And this is back in like 2002 or early 2003. And I'm like, I'm being considered for a job? Like, what? I didn't apply for a job. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I was finishing up my ABA certification from Penn State Distance Learning. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll apply. So anyway, I started working for them. And then I decided to write my first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, which is now in 13 languages and right. sold more than 50,000 copies. It, you know, uh, really was much more successful. It continues to be like mm-hmm. this weekend, it was in the top five of autism books. Oh my gosh. Um, it's a Amazon. great read if you haven't read it. it I mean, it's what yeah. I love about that book. It's really good for parents, but it's also really great for any professional really that's on a team that's helping um, students with autism. And it's, it's, it's a great read. It's an easy read, but it's, it allows you to take actionable steps. I think that's why I really like your work too. And kind of what I see reflected in my work too is, is trying to help people say like, okay, this is really what you can do to help your child or your student right now. So yeah, that's a great book still. Love it. Yeah. So it's still selling better than ever still, you know, in the top five or 10 on Amazon. And it's kind of sad because it's 2007 right. it was mm-hmm. written but I did write it very evergreen and so mm-hmm. it it should still work anyway then I pursued my PhD and when I graduated from that in 2011 and I did my my dissertation on how to train professionals on the verbal operants uh, using fluency-based procedures. And you can actually get my dissertation on my website, marybarbera.com. So if you if you want to search for anything, just do Mary Autism plus a topic like dissertation mm-hmm. or Mary Autism Potty or Mary Autism <laughs> Tantrums and something will likely pop up. Anyway, so I got my PhD and then people were like, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to continue to like just play potato head with my little kids because at that point I was working with first to three kids mostly until I figure out how to get my message out online, which was kind of new back in 2011. But I was traveling around the world, right? you know, which was a huge time commitment, lots of expense, you know, and, and really time away from home, all the time away from home Mm -hmm. and not just Lucas who required, you know, 24 seven supervision, but also Spencer, who was growing up, I was missing his proms. I was missing, you know, he always had his prom on Memorial Day during the ABA conference. And, you know, like in planning ahead, like my in-laws both died, one right before a trip, right after a trip. And like, that's a lot of pressure to Mm -hmm. like plan. Well, and now with COVID, I can't, like I had nothing planned internationally. (laughs) So it's like, thank goodness. No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm feeling cozy right in my office. Right. Uh So I was, you know, so back then I was doing the keynotes and workshops around the world. And I was also going door to door with kids like Chino and Cody. And and then I was like, I got to get my message out to the world because I feel like my procedures really work based Mm -hmm. on my seven years working for the Verbal Behavior Project, which is now the Patent Autism Initiative, working on my book, working with early intervention where I've developed my step-by-step procedures. And so slowly but surely, I got moving with the online efforts 
Davidson. In late 2014, I read Jeff Walker's book called Launch, which he's doing a new edition soon in the summer. And in 2015, I launched my first online course. And now I have two online courses, one verbal behavior bundle, and that's for professionals and parents of older children. And then I have the toddler preschooler online course. And that really propelled me the toddler preschooler course, seeing the games. Like I didn't even know if it was going to work that well because I was used to seeing kids one-on-one, right? Right. Once a week or, you know, once Mm -hmm. every two weeks. And it was like, is this going to work? Just giving them the procedures and having them do it. And when I saw, I mean, Rose, you're in, you're in our, groups and they you are see large the transformation and, and, <laughs> yes. and you see the transformation right like oh yeah. my god I never met this child I never looked at any videos right. and they went from two words to 500 words like yeah in 30 or 60 days it's like wow this is really working and then that propelled me to get a book contract and write my new book which yeah. is called turn autism around an action guide for parents of young children with early signs of autism. And so really, I want to get the message out kind of ties into how I fell into the autism world and felt like I went into a hole is right. like, we got to get to these kids early before right. they're even thinking autism. In some cases, it could just be an early speech delay, it could be early ADHD or learning disability, or it could be autism. But the sooner we can get to the parents and teach them how to engage your child, what to do if they tantrum, how to get Mm -hmm. them to sleep in their own bed throughout the night. You know, the better the kids will do, the better, the more empowered the parents will be and the the better the families will be. Absolutely. Um, It definitely changes the family dynamic. And I just know from, you know, like in the other thing too, is a lot of people might just be on a wait list. Like I see that a lot too, because I'm active in your membership too, is just, you know, parents that are just waiting because places are backlogged and COVID has definitely, you know, not helped that situation either. So in that interim too, you know, I think the information that you share is really helpful because you're empowering parents and professionals with actionable strategies where they can start implementing these things and see an absolute difference um, in how their child's doing and kind of the trajectory of growth. So I'm super excited. And I was able to read that book early and thanks for sharing that. It's really good. Um, (laughs) What are the early signs of autism and why are they often missed? So when babies start developing, and you know this, you know, as well, or if not better than I do, Rose, as a speech pathologist, but, you know, as babies develop, they, they will start babbling, they will start uh, isolating certain words that parents make attention over, like if they start saying, ma, 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 you know, mommy will get more excited. And right. they, then they'll kind of be like, oh, I got more attention for that. Or blah, blah, blah. Oh, you put your bottle, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and so that back and forth of battling eye contact, imitation, joint attention in babies with autism, it gets off track. And even with babies with other delays or preemies that are delayed, you know, it either is off track or delayed or, and then that goes into lack of pointing, which is another milestone mm-hmm. that's hugely important. And that goes, you know, and then kids get delayed with back and forth sharing or pretend play. And, and so the very early signs of autism are often overlap with other things, like definitely speech delays, attention issues, can't sit through a book, don't want to. Be 
very picky eating. Actually, I learned this while I was while I was writing Turn Autism Around. I had interviewed Dr. Keith Williams about picky eating. So that's a great podcast episode. Mm-hmm. But he also reviewed uh, an initial copy of my book, especially the chapter on feeding, mm-hmm. and sent me some resources that from like a 2019 study, which actually showed that picky eating like extreme picky eating and other feeding problems are actually now a diagnostic indicator for autism. So if you have a child with speech delay, sensory issues, attention Mm -hmm. issues, and they are a picky eater, they are much more likely to be eventually diagnosed with autism versus ADHD or speech disorder. So, you know, and then we have the other kind of warning sign, which can happen with early ADHD too, or even gifted kids is an extreme interest in things, some rigidity, social skill problems. But like I said, this can also happen with ADHD signs. It can also happen with gifted kids who are extremely smart, like they might be really focused on letters or reading. Mm -hmm. And they could turn out that they are gifted and go on not to get a diagnosis of autism. So in my new book, I'm really talking like, you're right, the waiting lists are horrendous. I mean, back when Lucas was diagnosed, the rate of autism was one in 500. Now it's about one in 50. It's and wild. One in every, yeah, yeah, I, mean, one I, in actually, every, I talk about that a lot, just that when I started presenting, just kind of like in my school district, you know, down in Texas, it was one in 242 or something like that. 50. And now, yeah. yeah, now is it one in 50? I mean, it's just, it's staggering. Yeah, it's, one, it's one in 50 for in terms of the CDC numbers, mm-hmm. but I've seen other right. numbers, one in 40, one in 29. So it's roughly gone from one in 500 two decades ago to one in 50-ish now. Right. And one in every six children that are eight years old have some kind of developmental disorder, including autism, ADHD, speech disorders, cerebral palsy, you know, those learning disabilities. And so what I really want to do with this new book and my work is really focus on the parents that are confused, waiting, worrying, because if I would have had this book back when my husband first mentioned the possibility of autism, it would have changed my life. I know it would have because I can see it changing people's lives, the information now within my toddler preschooler course. And now much of that information and the case studies are going to be in my new book. Oh, that's great. I think what's great too about your membership is that there are other, like I always talk about this idea of team with obviously the parents and the person with autism being very, very important to the team. Um, But you also have grandparents in your membership. You also have nannies in your membership. And it's really just comprised of you know, when we start talking about, and I always talk about like attending IEP meetings, and I'm sure you've probably been to some that were, you know, you're maybe not agreeing with everything, right? That's going on in the meeting. And we're sitting around, you know, and it's like, there's so many different people that are on the team that this information and all of the um, work that you do is very helpful for a lot of different people on the team. And that is just really person-centered. And we're trying to help that person. You know, like I always like, we have a, a very similar message where it's like, I really want to make sure everybody that I work with is has a way to communicate, is communicating as effectively as possible. Um, and I talk a lot about like, you know, modified leisure activities. And um, that was a cool thing for me too. Mary has, you know, had Lucas um, work with my action builder cards and my double up game. And But I feel very passionately about, especially 
older adults, you know, who have autism that maybe don't have a way, don't have a whole lot of leisure skills. So just that idea that um, your message is important for a lot of different people on the team. So I think that's important to talk about too, because, you know, the information you have is so impactful. And it's not just for that parent that's on the waiting list, but it's for, you know, maybe grandma and grandpa, you know, who are talking to, and it's, it's good information. So, so when you say, you know, turn autism around, can you tell us what does turn autism around mean? Yeah, some people really don't like the title of my podcast, which is now the title of my book, Turn Autism Around, you know. But really what I want to do is basically make things better in any area where there's deficits. And some of the newer studies, um, there's a lot of research done by Clin, Ami Clin down at Emory. And it's showing, I, I I attended a workshop with him. You know, I I asked him, I I said, do you think autism can be prevented? And he said, no, I don't. I think, you know, based on my eye gazing studies and the twin studies, I think autism can't be prevented. But what I do know from my other studies of early intervention and children of color studies, which show that they have intellectual disability almost at twice the the rate of white children based on the fact that they're not getting diagnosed and treated well. So he said, based on those studies, he said, I am really pretty sure that speech delays and disorders, behavioral disorders, and intellectual disability can be prevented or reversed. Wow. If you get on it as soon as possible and help repair the the parent-child babbling imitation stuff that goes wow. off track. And so my focus now is to improve the speech, improve attention, improve improve joint attention, improve eating, improve sleeping, teach pointing, teach talking, teach parents what to do if the child tantrums so that we can make progress in all those areas. Now, what it's going to look like in five years or 10 years down the line, we don't, we, we don't have any idea. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't look backwards. We can't look forwards. But what we can do is we can roll up our sleeves and we can teach speech, attention, behavioral reduction, and teach, you know, all of those things. Also teach self-help. You mentioned leisure, teach play and leisure skills, but also teach self-help skills, which are a big part of getting diagnosed with intellectual disability. If you take a three-year-old in, they're not going to do an IQ test per se, but a lot of it's going to be based on the fact is they, are they potty trained? Can they wash their hands without, you know, can they focus on a book? Can they sit at a table for five minutes and do a puzzle? And those kind of things are what we can turn around. Right. And whatever, you know, whatever else. So turning autism around is each child being as safe as possible, as independent as possible, and as happy as possible, and reaching his or her fullest potential, which is constantly a moving target. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want the same thing for both my kids. Lucas, who's 24 with autism and intellectual disability, who needs 24-7 care. And Spencer, who's just turned 23 and he's in medical school. So I I want both of them to be safe. Safety looks different for Lucas than it does for Spencer. I want them both to be independent. And of course, I want them to be happy. And I also want the parents and professionals to be happy. Right. And so Mm -hmm. this is why I've gone on not just to publish a book and now a second book, but 
to start a podcast, to do video blogs, to join masterminds where I learn how to spread my message because I only have one life, you only have one right. life, and we want to make things better. So, you know, the people that don't like when I say turn autism around, you know, I can't really help you much. <laughs> like, right. I am, I'm all about positive, child friendly. Little to no crying. I really don't. And like you want crying. you want that individual to be as happy as independent. Yep, we want people yep. to generalize skills, and you know that's why yep. I feel so um, strongly about my message. And I know you listened to the first episode of this podcast of my podcast, but you know I remember working as a second year speech therapist in in uh, ABA program that was a non public program, and the students had a lot of behavioral barriers, and they were all, I mean, for the most part, very unsafe behaviors. And you know, it's not any kind of newsflash. But most of these students did not have a way to communicate with the world besides problem behavior. And that's unfortunately and so sad is that's how they were navigating their environment, which just breaks my heart. And that's too why I feel so focused and have for most of the past 20 years about trying to spread that message because I remember how defeated I felt as a speech therapist because I had a great undergrad graduate program, but I just was not prepared to deal with students who had problems with a lot of the things you're talking about. Students who didn't attend to a book, students who didn't really like traditionally, I say the things that I had in my speech room, you know, like, I hope the student likes this toy. I hope the student likes this. So really just trying to equip people so that they feel like that they can reach those students. I always say that in my career, because I'm still, you know, a treating clinician three days a week, is that I tend to have always worked with older students as my years gone on. And I have always worked with students that are hard to reach. Like that's really my bread and butter. Um, Give me all the students that don't want to come to therapy because I do. I want to turn that around for them. I want it to be an enjoyable um, event. I want therapy to be great for them. I want them to learn. I want it to be fun and functional. So I understand what you're saying, but you know, you have to have a cohesive message. So thanks for for clarifying that and talking about that a bit. And I found the turn autism around like that title. Actually, I took a podcast, how to do a podcast with Pat Flynn. And he recommended, you know, picking a title for the, for your show. Right. with about three words. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted autism in there. And so it just worked, you right. know, in terms of the three words, like people have a problem with the verbal behavior approach. Like, right. Yeah, really, it should be called using applied behavior analysis and Skinner's analysis of verbal behavior right. to teach children. What, well, you can't do that. Right. Like to spread the message, you've got to simplify it. It has words. to be clear and concise. I, I know what you're saying because when I first started like three and a half years ago, I and I still have it on my website, like I want to teach language systematically in a way, you know, like and we're gonna work on a coics. Well, I mean, what is most of the world doesn't even know what an echoic is. So, you know, like I have learned those things too, you know, because I take courses and I take things to make sure that I'm trying to reach my audience, how I can serve others. And you really just have to be simplistic in your message. So I think that's that's important to, you know, to share that. And that's how I came up with Autism Outreach because I always do a lot of talk about being really collaborative and how I'm working with students and making sure there's so many people on the team and then we're having ongoing communication. And so you'll see that as a recurring theme. So I think that's uh, that's good to point out. So uh, how does this book differ from your first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach? And did you tell, you've told us kind of why you wrote it, but is there anything else you want to share about the book? Because it is coming out soon. Yeah, it's actually available for pre-order. And if you not sure when this is going to air, but if you buy it soon, you can also join my book launch team and you can get all the information about the book 
pre-order, the, the launch team, and eventually, if you listen to this, you know, after March 30th, the book will be out then. And turnautismaround.com will have the bonuses for the book. Like in the book is a sleep assessment or or those sorts of things. So all those resources will be at turnautismaround.com. So whether you check that out now and pre-order or whether you check that out in the future. So really, I just wanted to... My first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, is basically taking Skinner's Verbal Behavior book published in 1957 and the Ables and the BB map and everything I learned in the Verbal Behavior Project and making that into a book because the books that I relied on like Let Me Hear Your Voice and Potty Training in a Day. They were all really outdated and not the way I did things anymore. And so I figured I had it in my head and I would write the book. And I had no idea that I could get Mark Sundberg to do the foreword, that Dr. Jack Michael, who recently died, would would endorse it, John Cooper endorse it. I mean, it's really taken on a life of its own. I had no idea it would be available in 13 languages. So really, this book came about at one of my business online masterminds. I asked Jeff Walker, you think I should write another book? And he's like, yes, I definitely do. And he has been a really strong proponent of me spreading my message to millions instead of thousands. So it was, it's was it been a lot of work. It's probably been 10 times the amount of work. It's going to come out in hardback. Dr. Temple Grandin has done the foreword. There are 14 chapters, two on talking, one on problem behavior reduction, one on sleep, feeding, potty, one on desensitization to the doctor's dentist haircuts. Even we had one of our little partic- online participants, Her one, the mom posted that she was having trouble. All of a sudden, the girl didn't want to take a bath. And so we talk about how we repaired the bathtub and how we can repair anything. We can repair potato head. We can repair anything. So very, very practical, not just for parents of kids with autism, but kids with any kind of delays. Even if you think your child is great and on track with zero problems, it's just a great way to keep problem behaviors at bay, teach good language, both receptive and expressive language, how to potty train and everything's based on ABA, verbal behavior and my 20 years, 30 years as a registered nurse, (laughs) 20 years as a behavior analyst um, and mom. So everything is really child-friendly, step-by-step. I'm just super excited about it. So turnautismaround.com will get you all the details, but definitely pre-order if you can, because I want to signal to my publisher, Random Penguin is going to be uh, distributing it. My publisher is Hay House. I want to really signal to the world that we need more autism books, that it, my first book, I remember it, Amazon was around in, in 2007. And my first book actually sold out on pre-order. So when it came wow. to launch day of my book, it was not in stock anymore. And that we don't want to make that mistake. So right. people are going to buy it. Let's let's get on the same page. I'm going to have a launch team um, Facebook group. And let's let's really launch this big so that it can really help people around the world. Yeah, super excited. It's a great book, guys. Super good. So I always end the podcast with this last little question here, but I think it's a, a poignant one. So what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to another professional or parent about working with students with autism? If you had to pass along one thing, what would be that one highlight you could share? I think it's to be positive. I learned from Dr. Glenn Latham, who wrote Positive Parenting and Behind the Schoolhouse Door, Eight Skills 
every teacher needs. I learned from him in the lecture in 2000, I think, to use eight positives to every negative. And I think that's good. That's good whether you are a parent or professional. It's good whether you're working with kids with autism or you just have your own typical kids. But if you find yourself going into this nagging mode and complaining mode. Those are negative, negative, negative. You know, Johnny, sit up straight. Remember, crisscross applesauce, like that's just negative, negative. You're supposed to use A positives to every negative. So really, um, if you have to start counting your positives to negative ratio, but you can turn a lot around by just being more positive. Yes, I love that. I'm going to mental note when I get off here, I was just arguing with my kids right before we taped the podcast, but that's good just advice in general. I love that. And I always remember learning kind of about ABA kind of when I was kind of coming up through the ranks and they would always say like, don't say somebody's name and then automatically give them a demand. So, you know, a lot of the times in therapy, I don't always use the student's name because I don't want to pair somebody's name with a demand. So I try to do that with my husband too. Hey, honey, how was your day? You know, like stuff like that. So good overall advice. I love that. So thanks so much for joining us today. So where can people find you? What would be the most important place? I know that you're kind of all over the internet. You can look up Mary and, but what is one of the most important ways that people could find you? Well, I really am going to focus the next probably the whole year really on trying to get to the parents and early intervention professionals of kids one to five, because that's really where we can make the most difference. So find out about my book and all the book resources and bonuses at turnautismaround.com. You can also always search, like I said, Mary Autism Plus Your Topic. And it, uh, 99% of the time, it will pull up some resource that I've done. And it might be a quick little thing that you could send to a parent who's in denial or send to uh, another professional that doesn't understand what a coex are or doesn't understand what transfer trials are or how to teach pronouns or actions or prepositions. I mean, we really go from soup to nuts in terms of the information I cover, but I mostly target kids that are not conversational. So on the more severe end of the spectrum, unless they're under five, which case it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they have quote unquote, a touch of autism, or if it turns out not to be autism, these techniques and these proven ABA techniques are going to be really powerful, even to help kids with just a simple language speech delay. Awesome. Great. Well, make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and see you next time. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Rose. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.